I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Natasha Daniels, author of The Grief Rock, a book to understand grief and love. When Natasha Daniels' healthy 42-year-old husband suddenly died of a blood clot, she and her three children were thrown into the darkness of grief. Her children experienced difficulty eating, sleeping, and focusing. People treated them differently, and they lost some friends. They had to learn how to navigate in a world that felt upside down. She goes beyond, Natasha goes beyond the surface platitudes that many other children's grief books provide and offers validation of the physical and so- social implications one often experiences with grief. Uh, it also helps children understand that often our grief is so big because our love is so big. She is an anxiety and OCD child therapist. She also hosts the AT Parenting Survival Podcast and has a YouTube channel, Ask the Child Therapist. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Natasha. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, great to have you. Uh, this is a tough topic as, well, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, it seems to be a tough topic for everybody, those who have, have lost someone and also the people around them, not knowing how to deal with their friends or loved ones grief as well. So the grief rock, where did that name came from? Uh, where did, uh, where did, how did that name, how did you get that name or decide on that name for the book? Yeah, it actually came from not the idea of a book, but the way that I was trying to help my youngest daughter when we were navigating my husband's sudden death. And it just felt like a boulder just crashed into our house and cracked our foundation. And so I didn't really have language to talk to her about it. And so we just started talking about how this rock just showed up. And and we can't ignore it. It's just right there. And sometimes it's tiny and sometimes it's big. But how are we going how are we going to deal with this rock? And so that, that was the impetus of it. So that was the beginning. And when you, your husband died, what was this two years ago? You have three children uh, and uh, maybe you can tell us their ages and their response um, because each child is different, obviously, and your grief is different than their grief. Um, so I'm looking at, yeah. So let's start with that. You have three, they were, I don't have the ages here. How old were they? Nine, eleven, and eighteen. Yeah, this is a. Yep, exactly. It's about um, almost three years ago, coming up, and so, um, you know, I was forty-eight. I had to think about that for a second. Um, my husband was forty-two, and um, my kids were at different developmental stages, um, and so they they did all react differently. Um, my oldest daughter had some trauma because she was there when I found him, and my son was much more uh, shut down and, you know, everything was fine and non, non-expressive. And my youngest was very intensely expressive. So a lot of just sobbing on the floor. So yeah, everybody handles grief differently. And as a parent, when you're going through your own grief, that's a lot, a lot to handle. Well, the children, I mean, as you said, everybody holds, holds or has grieves differently. Do children and I assume they do, grieve differently than adults, yes. And how, what are the differences? Yeah, I think sometimes we think kids are okay because maybe on the surface they look like they're doing well. Um, some kids, 
can be more irritable or angry, can kind of come out as anger, or just a short fuse. Um, some kids actually are hyperactive. I remember my kids at times being really hyper, like unusually hyper. And I'm like, what is going on here? And sometimes it can look like there's not an issue at all, no ripple. And so, you know, you don't want to look at your child's behaviors and take that at face value because there's always something going on underneath that behavior. Well, and, you know, I think sometimes as, as adults, we look at the child who's, I'm going to say, acting out or we see them as acting out as the ones who are having the most difficulty. But as you described, one of your kids just kind of shut down. And sometimes that's even much more, that's difficult to deal with or there's a lot more going on or the, because they aren't expressing their their anger, their frustration, all of that. Yeah, and it's, um, it's easy to feel like, okay, that child is, is doing better. Um, but it, it is harder. I think you're right because it's like, how do you get them to talk about it? And there's a little bit more defensiveness around the topic. Where with my daughter, I could clearly see what she was doing and how she was doing at any moment because she was just that type of kid. But to really see how my son was doing, I had to explore and process, which I didn't have the capacity to do during that time. And so that was much trickier and having to get, you know, therapists involved and, and you know, grief support groups and trying to give them all the tools to be able to have an outlet. You know, you're a therapist yourself. I don't know if I mentioned that in the beginning and you specialize in OCD, OCD child therapist. How did that ha- help you in terms of your own grieving process, dealing with the kids? Did it help or did it hinder? You know, I actually think it kind of hindered me because grief is not my topic. I did never like liked treating grief, even when I was kind of a general child therapist, because there's no solution to it. And I'm very, like, skill-based. And so I didn't know what to do with grief. And so when my own kids were dealing with grief, I, I couldn't ignore that, obviously. And, um, and I didn't feel like I had the tools because it's so different than anxiety and OCD. There's not, like, a skill set that I'm going to just give them and then they're going to be able to crush it. And so I depended on getting a lot of books, you know, and I just wasn't finding anything that was actually really resonating with my kids. And so I wound up having to just roll up my sleeves and get some skills, get some language, like how how are we going to work through this? And to accept that there is no solution, um, that the goal isn't to get rid of it, the goal is to learn how to, to live with it. And that, that was a big shift for me. I think you mentioned in the book, or I've, I've heard you say uh, on other programs that it, it, um, traditionally we always saw grief as some kind of a sequential kind of, you know, you go through this process and something else, and then you're finished with your grief, seven stages or whatever. And that's really not true. There is no sequential order of grief. And that's really, I think that's a key, key point or a key issue, uh, whether it's yourself or you're dealing with your own kids. Yeah, I actually think the stages of grief can set us up for failure. Um, my daughter's therapist at the time was teaching her the stages of grief. And, and I guess that was kind of where it was weird as a therapist to like interject and be like, mm, all right, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> you know, because yeah. Stages of grief can make you feel like you're not doing it right. Or like, okay, now what stage am I in? Am I in denial? Am I in anger? Am I in acceptance? And, and really you can have all of those feelings within an hour, you know? And so to realize that you're normal and you're experiencing grief in the way that you're supposed to, it's messy. It's nonlinear. Um, sometimes you're doing well. Other times you're on the floor again and you don't know why, and that that is a component of grief and that that is 
that's normal. That's, you know, the, the, the new normal. And so I do feel like understanding the different emotions that can happen, but stages are um, in the snowmar, and that, that can kind of set us up for com- com- comparing ourselves and our journey to, to where we're at. I mean, you talk about, I mean, grief comes and goes. Do you have certain events in your life that remind you, you know, you may be feeling better and feeling like you're doing well. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's an anniversary or a birthday party or whatever that you know that the, your loved one is not there, your father, your mother, your sibling, whoever it is or, uh, that you were close to. And and then the, the pain gets that, that rock, I guess, must feel a lot more difficult uh, to handle. And, you know, you go back and forth, I guess. But I, the other thing is I want to talk about, especially with kids is other people feel very uncomfortable talking to someone, if someone dies or if some, you know, or, you know, there's some accident or whatever the, you know, their, you know, the grief, they want everything to be normal again. And they try to, uh, normalize the normal instead of normalizing the grief, <laughs> I guess. Uh, that's one way of saying right. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do feel like that's frustrating, um, it, but it's not, it's not anyone's fault. I do feel like people want to fix it. And I know I remember having to tell my sister, um, you can't fix this, you know, because I think people want to be helpful. And so they're trying to give you kind of anecdotal advice, like, you know, they're in a better place or, you know, time heals. And you're like those kind of antiquated, but intentional, you know, like the intention is, is kind hearted. They're trying to help you, but really it's, there, it is not fixable and there isn't anything that people can do. They can show up for you. They can just be there to support you. You know, what can I do to help? Literally, you know, can I help put your trash can out? Can I help take the kids for a minute? Like that's really what people can do, but there's nothing that anyone can say that's going to make you feel better. And the people that actually get that and just let you sit in your grief, um, really are the ones that are the most helpful, but we're not trained as a society to do that. We don't know how to talk to people. And so we actually wind up avoiding them. And I was surprised that a lot of people and my kids experience this too, would avoid them. Like, you know, they are, um, contaminated, Like we don't know what to say or do with that person. And so we're just going to, you know, go inside quickly if we see them coming. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not helpful. Uh, yeah. So you lose some friends no. and, and the kids lose some friends because people, because they can't deal with the grief. Yeah. But you know, what do you say to people? Because very often they say this, it, it, it's God's will or it was meant to be, or you're going to see your father in heaven. Or I can think of a whole litany of stuff that people say, but you know, as an adult, you can, and it's strict. And when it's related to you, I know what I would say, but what about with your kids? When people say that, what do you say? What does one say? How do you protect them? Yeah, you know, a lot of, um, in my kids' grief group, they would go over that with the kids. They would talk to the kids about what people will say and what they mean um, because it can rub people the wrong way. Because sometimes it's just better to say, you know, I'm sorry that you have to go through this. You just the empathy, you know. But people will say all sorts of things, and it can confuse kids depending on where they are developmentally if, and depending on where they are spiritually. So, um helping kids navigate that is actually a component of it, that people might say these things to you or what things do people say that maybe confuse you or upset you? And let's talk about that um, because not everybody's coming from the same place. I think one of the things that I often hear that would drive me 
crazy is I, I, people say, I can't imagine what you're going through. So they want to separate themselves from, you know, from your grief. And I think that's one way of doing yeah. it. I, I find that one of the most, one of the most insensitive things you can say to somebody who has just lost somebody that they love. Um, yeah. And I mean, that, I think that's kind of like an intuitive response that people put themselves in your shoes and it does not feel good. And <laughs> so they're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. And let me think of all the ways how this could not happen to me, you know, mm-hmm. because when someone is experiencing grief, especially if it's a, a partner or a parent or a sibling, it's too horrific for us to even imagine. And so we want to separate ourselves. We don't even want to go there. Um, we don't want to empathize because we don't want to imagine that. It's a scary, it's a scary thought that none of us want bring into our lives. What about the schools? What are they, are they doing anything to help grieving kids? I mean, you mentioned a group. I don't know if that group that you mentioned for kids who are grieving was a school, uh, you know, a situation or do schools have programs for kids who have lost a parent or a sibling or a grandparent or whomever that they're very close to? So do they have programs? Uh, we actually, the support group that we went to, we were really fortunate that um, there's an organization in Arizona that specializes in um, kind of like parent and sibling death. And so that was through that. I think every school district is different. And so I don't think you can kind of generalize. Um, I think we need more of that. There certainly wasn't any of that in my kid's school. There's no grief support and no grief education um, because I'm a therapist. I knew to reach out to the school to find, to talk to the school counselor. They're fortunate enough to have a school counselor and say, um, my kids experience this grief. Um, these are the things that I need the school to do in order to help them. You know, but I had the tools because I, you know, I have the clinical expertise to know what, how to advocate for my kids. Most parents aren't going to be able to do that. And so I do feel like there's, there needs to be more grief education in the school. And then kids are kind of cruel, not purposely most of the time, but, they say mean things. Where's your dad? You know, why'd your dad die? Um, schools have school functions like, you know, daddy and daughter dances or donuts with dads or um, I can't think of the mom ones, but they're there too. And, or they have projects. Let's do your family tree. Um, my daughter actually had a school project just a couple of weeks ago for um, Day of the Dead because we're in Phoenix and it's a Spanish immersion program. And she came home and her assignment was, draw a person that you love who passed away um, and write how they died or something like that. And I was like, what? Um, it was very triggering for her. And so I think there needs to be a little bit more sensitivity and education considering how many kids experience a loss, an, an immediate loss, a loss of a parent or a loss of a sibling. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm sort of, I'm thinking back when my kids were in elementary school and they used to have grandparents. It was grandparents day. And my boys would come mm-hmm. home and say, you know, a lot of kids in my class feel bad because their grandparents are dead and they don't have a grandparent to invite to, you know, and they'd really make a big thing about it. Right. So I always felt that it was kind of mean to have grandparents day. <laughs> um, I yeah. think eventually, yeah, they named it something sure. else. Yeah. Just, it just sort of, yeah, left at least a third of the kids out. Yeah. That it wasn't really a very nice thing to do. Is there a difference, um, Natasha, between, like, say, your husband died suddenly, he had a blood clot. Is there a difference in the grief, I'll say, process 
between someone for someone who dies immediately or someone who's been sick for a long time? Um, do you see any different emotional reactions to that, let's say, with kids? I do think there is a difference for adults and for kids. Um, there's no runway to grief. I mean, grief is it's horrible no matter what, and it, it will hit you hard no matter what, but there's no runway. And so you're dealing with that secondary issue of trauma because they were here, they were healthy. We were eating takeout the night before my husband died. Everything was fine. And then we went to school and then I'm picking them up from school and letting them know that their dad is dead. I mean, the, the shock to the brain physiologically is, is, I think, more overwhelming in the sense that you weren't expecting it. And so the, the physiological aspect of that, I think just like that foundational crack that you weren't expecting adds to the grief because then you're dealing with just like the reality. I don't know how to kind of verbalize it, but I feel like there's no anchor. And it can really cause a lot of instability in kids because they think people just disappear. So if you have someone who's sick for a long time, it's still horrific, but there's a runway up to grief. You know, you see that they're sick. It's kind of like when I was in, um, in my master's program for social work and I had a class on, um, I don't know why I had a class on this. It was like emergency room, like delivering bad news. It was a very specific class. You know? <laughs> and the, the instructor was saying, you don't call someone and just say, I'm sorry, your loved one died. You have, you build up to it. There was a car accident, you know, there was a head injury. You build up to it so the brain can process it over time. There's none of that when there's a sudden death. And that can be really disorienting. And I think for kids, it also can, they can be afraid if they go to bed at night, they might die too, because it happened to my father. Yeah. It could happen to me. And uh, I mean, I think there's something to that as well. Uh, and as you say, it's, it's the, it's yeah. the trauma, yeah, that, that trauma that's, that's terrifying. Um, and we did have, we did have that. And sometimes I think sometimes people will say, um, they'll, they'll use metaphors like sleep for death. And that's really overwhelming for kids. But if, if you have someone who actually did literally die in their sleep or didn't wake up, my daughter, my youngest daughter for, I would say a year had, she already had anxiety issues, but she had major issues around sleep, lots of kind of compulsive behaviors to make sure that I was alive. Um, a lot of increasing separation anxiety. It brings up a whole bunch of instability for kids' mental health. So you really have to be very concrete about what you say to kids when someone dies. They died. Yeah. They're not coming back. They're, I mean, you really have to be very, uh, concrete, I guess, is the word. Because when you make up these kind of stories or you try to whitewash it, 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 it creates a lot more anxiety. You know, I was thinking when my father died and I was older in my twenties, but he was so sick for so long. I wanted him to die because I didn't think he deserved to live in such pain. And this just wasn't the kind of life he wanted to live. So it was as painful as it was, it was somewhat of a relief. Now that's completely different than your situation with your young kids and also the sudden loss of their, their father. Um, what about, yeah. What about the, I mean, here you are, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but here, you know, you are a very young widow and now you're a single parent and now you're devastated and you're supposed to be carrying on with these kids with all, you know, and uh, how, can we talk about that? Or do you have, 
suggestions for people about how to sort of get through or go through, maybe not get through, but it, go through all of this? Yeah. It, it's, you know, it is really tough. Uh, I do have some friends who have, who are going through kind of widowhood and, and don't have kids. And on, on a weird level, I'm almost grateful that I do have kids because I don't know if I would have wanted to continue living, to be completely honest. Um, but because I knew I had to, to pull it together for my kids, it became kind of a, a motivator to get out of bed. And I, I had no friends or family. I was very, I'm an introverted person. I didn't have a big support network and all my family lived outside of Arizona. And so very isolated. And so my kids were kind of a uh, a motivator to get up. But I would say that learning how to take care of yourself, I had to take care of myself and accept help in ways that I never did before. Um, I am a really proud person. I'd have a hard time taking, um, having anyone help me. You know, I'm always like, I got it. I got it. Even if someone opens the door for me, I got it. I got it. <laughs> it's yeah. like my personality. And I had to be like, I don't got it. And that's okay. And it's okay for people to help you even people who are strangers because I didn't have a big support network. And so um, learning to accept help. And when people say, can I help you? Or I wish there was something I could do to help. Or what can I do to help you? Well, they can't bring your loved one back. Um, and so it can seem like kind of a stupid question, to be honest. But what can they do? And to really think about that on a concrete level. Can they pick your kids up from school? Can they take your kids for a little while? Um, my husband's coworkers all kind of swarmed in, and they would rotate taking my kids you know, overnight or taking them out for the day, that was huge because I needed to, um, I needed to break down. And my daughter was very sensitive about crying, you know, or, or me crying. And so I needed to crumble periodically. And so just having that space to tap into what people are offering you um, is, was really important and helpful for me. And it was humbling to be like, yeah. you don't always have to have this. And, and that is okay. And that you need to take care of yourself because if you don't, you're not going to be able to be there for your kids. I, I think it may be the other side of it too. Maybe you can uh, talk to us about this, but it, you mentioned your daughter was having issues, separation, anxiety, you know, all of those kinds of emotional feelings after her do- father died. But that as a, that, and you, as you say, you were somebody who is an introvert and your kids and your husband were your whole life or are your whole life. Um, like you, that you want to keep, like you have to be careful not to sort of play on keeping your kids with you all the time, that they become too much of a support, especially if maybe if they're a little bit older. Uh, it's different maybe when they're very young, but, um, and, and because you're the only people who loved your husband as much and your kids love their father, you know, as much as, you know, nobody else understands that kind of love or the grief, right? So wouldn't, yeah, to, yeah, that it, it, you could get well, into kind of yeah. together. You know, I thought like we did. It was a, it was ironically a, a very bonding experience in the sense that we we became much more of a tight knit group. Um, and unfortunately, my oldest daughter went off to college um, about six months later, and so that was kind of another loss because um, mm-hmm. she went out of state, and it was um, you know, another experience. But I do think separating from your kids and getting that individual support and having that space is really important and hard when you don't have a big, you know, network to tap into. So support groups, when I talk to people who have had, 
you know, uh, terrible losses like what we've been talking about. Um, I would say most of them do mention that support groups, at least initially, help them get through it. People who have been through the same situation or same situation or similar situations um, that that that's always helpful or they can go. Well, you actually you you have your own, you have a, a podcast, right? Let's talk about we only have a couple minutes left. So can you give us information about how you can, how we can, or my guess, my uh, listeners can get in touch with you or listen to your podcast. Um, and also. Yeah. Well, you know, ironically my podcast, um, and all the stuff that I do online was there way before my husband passed away. And it's, it's all based on anxiety and OCD for kids. I support parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. So my podcast is AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Um, but it's all about anxiety and OCD, so it's, <laughs> it's unrelated to what we're talking about. But if you have that going on, I certainly can help. Okay, great. Well, great having you on the show today and really a good book for parents, for teachers, uh, for anybody who is involved with, uh, with kids and with loss and with grief. The Grief Rock, a book to understand grief and love, and the author is Natasha Daniels. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 